Merry Christmas and welcome to Onalaska Church of Christ online this weekend. I want to thank you for listening in to our podcast. Now, I'm going to need some all-church participation today. Um, whether you might be watching or listening from your living room, in your car, on the podcast, uh, when I say the words, Merry Christmas, I'd like for you to say, God with us. Are you ready? Merry Christmas. All right, let's try that one more time. Merry Christmas. Now, when I say the words Merry Christmas, I'd like for you to say peace on earth. Let's try that together. Merry Christmas. All right, let's do it one more time. Merry Christmas. We are in week three of our Christmas message series, and we're calling this series Christmas Catchphrase. And during the month of December, we're studying these well-known catchphrases that come directly from the Christmas story as presented in God's word. These catchphrases are important scriptural truths that help bring us back to the true meaning and message of Christmas. I've mentioned how Luke's gospel, and more specifically, his account of Jesus' birth, um, is filled with phrases that are filled with meaning. Last week, we focused on the phrase, peace on earth. We were reminded that there's peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ, that there's peace with each other through the love of Christ, And we talked about how we can actually experience the peace of God in our daily lives, a kind of peace that exceeds anything we can understand. You know, real peace, arene peace, that's the Greek word for peace in the New Testament. That kind of peace starts with God. It comes from God. Today we're going to focus in on an important catchphrase that also comes from Luke's gospel. In fact, today's phrase comes just before the phrase peace on earth. We see this in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Now, I'm going to read Luke 2, verse 8 through 14. We read this last week, but I think it's important that we circle back around, and then you'll see how we can start to connect the dots, and we'll focus in on today's catchphrase. So Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger, Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Today's Christmas catchphrase is the phrase, Glory to God in the highest. The entire verse says, Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. This is a phrase that we see written on Christmas cards. We sing it in Christmas songs, and we read it right here in Luke's account of how the armies of heaven announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. Now, before we take a closer look at this important phrase, I'd like to give you a little context for what we just read. The shepherds that we read about in Luke's gospel, it's widely agreed upon, widely believed that these were no ordinary shepherds. You see, it's believed that these particular shepherds were assigned the duty of keeping the flocks of sheep that were being prepared for sacrifices in the temple. 
So the sheep they were guarding were used to take away the sins of the people in temple worship. Remember, this was the sacrificial system that we see throughout the Old Testament and was used until God made a new covenant with his people through Christ's work on the cross. We have to be reminded today of this important truth that Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. You see, we no longer need to make temporary animal sacrifices for our sin. I'm, I'm thankful for this. I don't know about you. What Christ accomplished through his work on the cross is sufficient for all people who believe in Jesus for all time moving forward. What's really cool about Luke's account is that these shepherds, the ones who were guarding the sheep that would be used as sacrifices in temple worship, um, these shepherds were the first people to hear the announcement of Jesus' birth. And friends, this was a birth announcement like no other. Let's take a closer look at verses 13 and 14. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Luke 2, 13 and 14 says, Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. The armies of heaven were singing together as a choir. I love music, so naturally my mind wonders what this must have been like. You know, did, did they all sing the melody? Were they all singing different parts of the song? Did they use instruments? We don't know any of these things for sure, but what we do know is this. Their song, the words they were saying, was a song of praise. It was worship. This song was also a birth announcement, and this particular announcement began with an angel of the Lord, which was a single messenger. And then this messenger was joined by a whole choir, the armies of heaven, who began to praise and worship God for the birth of Jesus. As they were singing, these are the words that came out, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. I think it's important to note that these are the words that would have traditionally been reserved for the emperor, Caesar Augustus. So he was the one who'd been designated by the people, not by God, but by people, as the Son of God, the Savior, and the one who brought peace on earth. This is how people would have referred to him. But in this moment, this choir of angels, the armies of heaven, they made it very clear that this birth announcement was for someone who is the true God, the true Savior of mankind. In this moment, they shined the light on Jesus. They gave him the glory, and they worshiped him as king. The word glory is an important word in the Bible. It's a word that we need to be familiar with. Um, In Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it's the word kavad, which means heavy or weighty. Uh, So glory is given to that which has great value or worth. Through his prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, God tells us how important his glory should be to us. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else nor share my praise with carved idols. The psalmist wrote these words in Psalm 115, verse 1. He writes, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. These angels, on the night of Jesus' birth, raised their voices in worship. They sang, Glory to God in the highest heaven. These were words of praise and worship words that we can learn from and characteristics of worship that we can emulate in our own lives as we worship God individually 
as families and as a church family. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to take a closer look at this important phrase and give us some practical teaching for how we can learn from the angel's example when it comes to worship. So if you're taking notes, the first characteristic of worship, the first example that we're going to talk about is this, that we should worship God intentionally. We should worship God intentionally. That's worshiping God with purpose. You know, giving glory to God is something that we're commanded to do. It's something we choose to do, and we're blessed when we do. Our word for worship derives from the old English word, we skip. It's a funny word. I think I'm pronouncing that right. We skip. Um, you hear a couple things in that word. You hear the word worth, and you hear the word worship. Now, to worship is to ascribe worth to something or someone. Now, as sinful people, and we are sinful, we tend to worship things or other people instead of worshiping God. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, that's not true of my life. You know, I don't worship anything else. Well, let me phrase it this way. You know, I've found in my own life that whatever has great worth to me often becomes the object of my attention and worship. I believe that we are all created to worship. That's something that God has put in us from the time we were born. In fact, you can go to the farthest corners of the world and you'll find people who've never heard the name Jesus, yet they're worshiping something or someone. See, we can choose to turn our minds and our hearts toward heaven and worship God, or we can worship things. I would even go as far as to say that if a person doesn't worship God, the one true God, then they're worshiping something or someone else in their life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, this is what John writes. This is very important instruction for us. He says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Uh, some translations say, keep yourselves from idols. An idol is anything that takes the place of God in your heart, in your life. Anything that robs God of receiving the glory. John's instruction is to be intentional about staying away from things that might take God's place in your life. As Christians, we have to be intentional about that. You know, it's so easy for us to allow other things to take God's place in our lives. And worshiping God, whether it's through song or with our lives, and, and we know that worship is more than just music. Um, music is a gift that God's given us, and we should worship God through song. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on in the message. But worship is greater than that. It's worshiping God with our lives. It's a lifestyle. So worshiping God is something that we have to be intentional about doing, especially this time of year when our time and attention is so easily pulled in all sorts of directions. There's a verse in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that's made a huge impact in my life. In fact, I remember hearing this verse as a new believer when I was 12 or 13 years old, and it still means a lot to me today. I want to share that with you this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. It says, So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Man, I, I love this verse. I remember hearing it again for the first time when I was like a preteen or an early teenager. And uh, I learned to build my life on this verse. I want to challenge you to do the same. I want to challenge you to memorize this verse. Build your life on this verse. And I want to encourage you with this, that whatever you do this season, whether it's work, play, spending time with family, I want to encourage you to do it all for the glory of God. 
Make God the focus of your thoughts, the focus of your actions, the focus of your worship and service. Give God the glory this season. John chapter 1, verse 14, John writes, So the word became human, the word became flesh, and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And then listen to this. John says, And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The Bible tells us that we have seen God's uh, worth, his glory, and we've seen that in the person of Jesus Christ. We actually give God glory when we praise and worship him on purpose. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, so all of us who've had that veil removed, so all of us who are in Christ, all of us who are believers, he says, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we're changed into his glorious image. We give God the glory, and we reflect his glory as we grow in our faith, and as we become the people that he's created us to be. And when we worship God intentionally, when we worship God on purpose, our own purpose actually becomes clear. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul likens us to shining stars in the midst of the world. This is a couple of really neat verses. Philippians 2, 14 and 15, Paul writes, Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God. And then listen to this. Shining like bright lights or bright stars in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Uh, the Greek word for shine literally means to reflect. Now there's a scientific term for this action. It's a weird word. I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. It's the word albedo. I feel like that's like a prescription drug or something, right? You hear the word albedo. It's like a commercial, um, you know, take albedo and then check with your doctor for side effects. <laughs> that's not what this means. It's actually a scientific term um, that is a measurement for how much sunlight a planet or moon reflects. This is so cool. So you need to track with me for just a minute. Um, one example is the planet Venus has the highest albedo at 0.65. So in other words, 65% of the light that hits Venus is reflected. And depending on where it's at in its orbit, uh, the former planet, Pluto, now I say former planet because uh, when I was in school, Pluto was a planet. Maybe that was the case for you as well, but for some reason, it's not a planet anymore. I won't get into that. But the former planet, Pluto, has an albedo ranging from 0.49 to 0.66. Now, our nightlight, the moon, has an albedo of 0.07. So only 7% of the light that hits the moon is reflected. Yet we can clearly see it on a cloudless night. So in a similar way, each one of us has a spiritual albedo. And the goal is 100% reflectivity. See, all of us who've had the veil removed, all of us who are in Christ, are able to reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into the image or likeness of Christ. And it's so important for us to be reminded today that we can't produce this light on our own. No, that's not what Paul is saying. Instead, we learn to reflect it. We're used by God to reflect his light, reflect his glory. We're encouraged to reflect God's light, to let his light shine for all to see so that God would be the one who is glorified. We don't shine the light on ourselves. I have an important question for you today. I think in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a season like this, as Christians, it's important to ask a question like this. What are you doing right now, this season, to reflect God's light 
during a challenging time? What are you doing to reflect God's glory during the pandemic? You know, I know a lot of people who are staying indoors, uh, maybe 90, 95% of the time. All right, they're isolating themselves from others. And maybe some of us should be doing this, especially if you're in the higher risk category. But just because you might be indoors doesn't mean you can't be used by God. In fact, you will not find anywhere in the New Testament where we should put our physical health over the mission that God has given us as Christians, over the purpose that he's given us. We should never compromise that. So what are you doing this season to shine God's light so that others can see Jesus? That's such an important question. When you and I worship God intentionally, when we worship God with purpose, that's one way that we're shining the light of God, that we're reflecting God's glory. The angels sang, glory to God in the highest. They were worshiping God intentionally, worshiping God with purpose. That's an important characteristic of worship that we need to learn and, and apply and practice in our own lives. We should worship God intentionally. The second thing that I want to talk about today is this, that we should worship God verbally. And we should worship God verbally. That's, that's with words. Um, Luke gives us an accurate account of what the angels were saying. They were saying, glory to God in the highest. Or as we like to say, glory to God. You know, I love that phrase. We say that in church. We say that um, anytime we're serving, right? We, we serve, and if someone says, good job, we say, well, the glory goes to God. What we're saying is, you know, I don't want to receive the credit for that. God gets the glory for that. So I really like that phrase, glory to God. We should say that a lot more. You know, personally, as, as a follower of Christ, as, as a husband, as a father, as your pastor, I want to shine the light of Jesus. I, I want to make his name famous. Right? I don't want the credit to come back to me. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And this is such a cool verse. Um, anytime we verbally acknowledge the Lord, anytime we verbally um, talk about Jesus, um, we're worshiping with words. John Wesley once wrote, Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. Man, that's a, an important reminder from, from John Wesley today. You know, this is individually, but also when we gather together. I mean, how often do we come to church on Sunday morning and we kind of sing like we're half dead? You know, we have our arms crossed and we're just not really into it. We have to remember that when we gather, we're here to worship the one true God, our risen Savior. So sing lustily with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead, half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. If you know the Lord, my encouragement to you is to worship him with words and do so as someone who's been born again. And words are so important in every one of our relationships. It's how we tell someone how much they mean to us. I use words every day to tell my wife and my kids how much I love and appreciate them. My wife does the exact same thing to me and to our four boys. I understand that every single one of us has a different love language. You know, some of us like words of encouragement. Uh, some of us like receiving gifts, uh, giving gifts, you know, whatever your love language might be. But um, we all welcome and we all need words of encouragement and love. The New Testament writers, they actually put a lot of emphasis on the importance of encouraging and loving one another with words. So if we're to be intentional about using words to lift each other up, how much more is our God worthy of our praise and worship? 
the angels saying, glory to God in the highest. They were worshiping God verbally. They're using words. That's an important characteristic of worship. And I know it sounds simple, but it's so important to remember. We need to apply that to our own lives. We need to sing out with good courage. The third truth I want to talk about today, an important characteristic of worship is this. We should worship God corporately. We should worship God corporately. That's worshiping God with others. Um, Again, this is an important characteristic of worship that we learn from the angel's example. When we worship, it's important to do so corporately with others. Um, Luke's account says in verse 13 that suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. All right, so this one angel, this one messenger, was joined by a vast host of others. Now, we don't know how much a vast host is, but it sounds like a lot. I can't imagine that the armies of heaven is just a small group of angels. No, it's, it's a vast group of hosts. I hear more and more Christians saying things like this, that I can be a Christian and, and not go to church, or I can be a Christian and just worship and pray from home. This seems to be a growing trend, yet the authors of the New Testament repeatedly call people to come together for worship, to come together for growth in their faith, for encouragement, and to build up the body of Christ. You can't do that alone, all right? We're we're not meant to have a private faith, a solitary faith. We have a personal faith, but it's not meant to be a private faith. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Something different happens when God's people are able to come together worship rather than just worshiping alone at home. Now, worshiping alone is good and should be encouraged, but not at the expense of corporate worship with others. I have to be honest. I I am so excited uh, to be able to see all that God is doing this season through our online ministry. You know, we were able to stream our services online. We're able to get our podcast up each week. We've seen lives changed. We've seen a lot of growth in this area and how we're able to reach our community uh, through this kind of ministry. But Again, I'm going to be honest, I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to come back together in person, and I'm looking forward to that very soon, you know, so that we can worship in person. So I would ask you today, you know, please be praying for our online service. We want that to grow. We want to continue to reach people that way, but continue to also pray that we'd be able to come back when the time is right. We'd be able to worship together in person. The angels saying, glory to God in the highest. They were worshiping God corporately with with others. That's an important characteristic of worship, and we should do the the same thing. The final characteristic of worship that I want to talk about today is this, that we should worship God expressively. We should worship God expressively. That's worshiping God with passion. So this is a final characteristic of worship that we uh, learn from the angels' examples. Worship God expressively. You know, they took a phrase that was used by the world in one way, you know, to praise the emperor, uh, Caesar Augustus, and they changed it to shine the light on the one true God. This was such a powerful moment that we continue to say this phrase today around Christmas time. We say it throughout the year as well. Glory to God in the highest. You have to wonder what this choir of angels sounded like and what would it be like if we combined all these characteristics in our worship today, you know, being intentional about our worship, 
being verbal, being corporate, and being expressive in our worship? What would a song like this sound like if the church praised and worshiped God together, giving him all the glory? If you go back to October 30th, 2010, maybe you can think about what you were doing on October 30th, 2010. But on this date, the Opera Company of Philadelphia brought together over 650 choristers to perform a random act of culture in the heart of a busy Macy's store in Philadelphia. They were accompanied by the largest pipe organ in the world. So this this opera company, they infiltrated the store as shoppers. They burst into a rendition of the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah. Now, in the YouTube video that you can actually still go watch today, there's almost 9.5 million views to date. And when you watch this video, you can actually see the priceless reactions on the faces of the shoppers and salespeople as they hear the song being sung. A lot of people actually start to pull phones out of their pockets and out of their purses so that they can record this awesome moment. Uh, The busy work of a crowded mall all but stopped, and the people join in to sing the words. It's pretty amazing. I went back to look at the comments in the comments section because uh, people go back every year to watch this. And uh, one guy recently posted this. He said, sometimes I think we just might make it. You know, people see something like this. They hear words like this, and it gives them hope. Another person wrote, moving beyond words. You know, a lot of people come back to watch this video every year because it reminds them of what Christmas is all about. Noticeably absent from all the comments are reactions from people who usually try to find something wrong with anything Christmas-related. You know, when you read the comments, you see people are just drawn into the truth of the song. I can't show the clip this morning or even let you hear it. It's over five minutes long, but I do want to encourage you to go watch it this afternoon. You can just look for that on on YouTube. But it brings us back to this scene in Luke. The angels sang glory to God in the highest. They were worshiping God expressively with passion. I I, I can't believe for a second that this was passionless worship. Man, this was passion-filled, expressive worship to the one true God. While glory to God in the highest is a well-known phrase, I want to remind you today that it is so much more than just a phrase. It's a truth that points us back to the one who deserves all the praise and all the glory. History records that when George Frederick Handel completed the Hallelujah Chorus, um, he told his helper, he said these words, I did think I did see all of heaven before me, and the great God himself seated on his throne with his company of angels. Church family, this Christmas, let's join the armies of heaven who've modeled some powerful characteristics of worship for us. We're reminded to worship God intentionally. That's worshiping God with purpose. We should worship God verbally. Let's use words and let's sing boldly for God. Let's worship God corporately with others. And let's worship God expressively with passion. So this Christmas Eve, we're going to have an opportunity to come together to do just that. We're going to worship corporately. We're going to worship expressively, verbally, and intentionally. Our theme this year is a classic Christmas We're going to provide a time for us to come together in that way, to hear the Christmas story told in story form. We'll have an opportunity to take communion individually and as a church family. There's going to be a story for the kids, and we'll have candle lighting as we prepare our hearts for the birth of Jesus, who is the light of the world. 
I'm excited this year because we have two service times, 5 p.m. and 6.30 p.m., and uh, both will be offered in person as well as online. So if you're staying home, you can join us online. We want to invite you and your family, your friends, your neighbors to join us as we worship and celebrate together. So as I close out the message today, when I say the words Merry Christmas, I'd like for you to say glory to God in the highest. Merry Christmas. Well, I wish you and your family a Merry Christmas, and I look forward to worshiping with you on Christmas Eve.